Hello, and welcome to the Project Good podcast. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Hilton. Project Good is a social impact podcast interviewing experts and advocates about the pressing problems that we face globally and hearing how they suggest we move forward in the future. The Project Good podcast is brought to you by Project Good Work. The goal of this podcast is to inspire people and organizations to develop a mindset that can move others to positive action regarding the complex social issues facing people and the planet. For September, we're focusing on the return to civility. According to the New York Times, stories of bad customer behavior began trickling out in the summer of 2020, when businesses that had closed in the early part of the COVID pandemic began to reopen in a new angry mood in the United States. At a restaurant struggling with staff and food shortages, a group of diners grew so furious at a long long wait for food that they demanded it be boxed up and then dumped the whole order uneaten into the garbage. And who can forget? The abuse flight attendants endured with customers angry about COVID-related rules and their responsibility to enforce those rules, all while being locked in those closed quarters on a plane in the air. The current social climate has a continuous air of toxicity. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Inez Odom to discuss how we can start to clear the air. Ms. Odom has been an inspiration to young people and works as the Strategic Initiatives and Research Director at the Academy of Our Lady of Peace in San Diego, California. In addition, she's the founder of Ms. Inez's School of Home Training, where she has created the blueprint for how we can cultivate and resurrect warmth, thoughtfulness, kindness, joy, laughter, and fun in our human interactions and conversations. She's developed a card game called Home Training to discuss life, and how to have open dialogue in a respective manner in today's society. Let's get into the interview. Imagine a whimsical card game designed to spark meaningful reflections and spirited conversation. My guest today recalls that when a child misbehaved in public, adults would turn their heads, look at the child, click their tongues and say, that child must not have any home training. A lack of home training came down to the idea that one didn't know how to behave given the situation and circumstances. Inez Odom, the founder of Mrs. Inez's School of Home Training, has decided to examine the side of what if no one ever explained what was required to that person through a card game that promotes human connection through character building, fun, and conversation. The purpose of the game is to lead people to have conversations that cultivate empathy. And one of the key benefits of empathy is that it can change the world. Welcome, Inez. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. I'm really honored to be here today with you to discuss Miss Inez's School of Home Training and to talk about the art of conversation and the need for a return to civility. Yes, thank you for your time already for today. Um, I know that uh, you are, uh, you know, um, working already with young people. You are now a founder of um, this organization and uh, building out um, a wonderful way to reach um, so many different uh, people in the world. Mm -hmm. And so um, I always like to ask everyone before we jump into the interview questions, what inspired you to create Ms. Inez's School of Home Training? In many ways, I really felt that, as you noted in your open, that it seemed as if we were getting further and further away from a climate where people knew how to show up appropriately for the situation that they were in, that often people were short-tempered and just simply not showing up as the best version of themselves. And uh, it was actually in um, 2020 that I began creating this. I had friends who would often tease me about um, the way I the way I express myself because I I often use little phrases like "don't ever change" or "at the end of the day" or "quick like a bunny," and they would smile and 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 say, "Oh, Inez, you should really sort of put this all together." And what I realized was that it has to do with the way in which we. Uh, speak to one another and engage with one another. So in 2020, I decided to create this card game and um, had a an initial version and then have gone on to develop a more comprehensive version, which we're now going to be uh, making available. 
That's uh, fantastic. Um, you know, I think uh, definitely in this time it is. Uh, I was uh, looking last night and just uh, I um, I've gotten to the point that. Um, instead of uh, watching um, uh, full news stories, I go through and I just get the the I gleam what is uh, the top stories of the day. And then if something um, interests me, I might, uh, you know, uh, dive in a little bit deeper. But because there is so much stuff happening um, and it's so overwhelming, um, you know, uh, I've uh, decided that this is the best way to keep myself um, from uh, being uh, so emotionally attached that uh, uh, I've become, um, uh, I got, uh, before I was getting like sad to the point of uh, tears with some of these things. Um, so to have a, a point of, um, you know, a, an emotional distance so that I can be objective and uh, move forward in the ability to work towards uh, change instead of getting, um, you oh, know, yeah. emotionally attached, right. um, that I think is, uh, you know, um, become problematic for so many people, mm. um, uh, today is, uh, you know, there are so many things, um, not only just from social, but, you know, just our, our, uh, our environment literally right. <laughs> in right. some cases is literally spitting us out. Right. 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 <laughs> not to laugh, but it's true. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's true. And, and I think you're, you, you've hit the nail on the head that to some extent, if, when we talk about cultivating empathy and when we talk about certainly about conversations, I think that uh, there are some rules of engagement and some ways that we can um, that that are going to feel better. Right. And so when we think about a conversation, we can almost break it out into understanding kind of six key elements, a topic the terms or the vocabulary and the rules of engagement that we use, the tone of a conversation, what I would call the tangents of a conversation, its intention, and then the outcome, right? So that in any given situation, when we decide to have a conversation, it is an art form in a way, because we there are certain steps that we need to go through in order to make it a meaningful exchange. And so to your point, if we live in a world where even the topic feels so overwhelming, it, it, it can be difficult to engage in a meaningful conversation. But I think that that's what I love about the game is that the idea is that we, we create and we provide opportunities to really think about how we can engage in meaningful conversations. So taking those six, six areas, topic, figuring out what is it that we're going to talk about and based on what that is, really coming up with terminology. Because I think one of the things that is often difficult is depending on the topic, I may have a different view of a term that I'm using than you do. So it's important that even in the art of conversation that we we unpack the words that we're using and that we use a rich vocabulary in order to express ourselves. Because again, I think we've, we've gotten into a, a lot of shorthand in the world. So how do we make sure that we're, we're expressing ourselves well? And then the third piece of a conversation really being the tone. I know that I can remember my mother saying to me, modulate your tone. And I, I didn't quite understand what she meant. And she explained to me that sometimes it's even your tone of voice that is communicating more than the words themselves. I and mean, we all know that there are ways to say something that can be kindly received or not kindly received, depending on the tone of voice that we're using. So even your tone has significance. And then the fourth area, tangents, thinking about when we have a conversation, we know that it will give rise to other ideas and other thoughts. And to some extent, we may want to move off onto a tangent as long as it's related back to our topic, or we may feel like there's something within that tangent that we want to put in a parking lot and come back to later. So it's also understanding when we've moved away from what was the original topic that we hope to explore. And then I think with a conversation, you have to think about the intention. 
when I'm in dialogue with someone, is it my intention to change their mind? Is it my intention to clarify? Is it my intention to persuade? Is it my intention to ultimately hold myself open so that they can perhaps help me better understand a situation. So what is the intention of the conversation? And not all conversations necessarily have to have an intention. Maybe you're having a conversation about something that's just a reflection and it's fun. There's got to be room for that too. And then I think the last piece of any good conversation is really the outcome. As a result of having had this conversation, what do I want to do differently? How do I want to show up differently? What will my thought life look like as a result of having engaged in this conversation? So that was just sort of an initial pass at the art of conversation that I think when we think about the return to civility, civility is defined as courtesy and politeness. Well, all right, then how do we engage in a way that welcomes courtesy and politeness as we as we talk to one another. Yes, and in fact, that uh, leads me to um, my question. Like right now, um, you know, this is like a, a, a two-part question. I'm, I'm going to blend two questions together here. Oh. There is a, you know... Um, uh, you know, I've I've even read um, like there's uh, different reports uh, that they um, check on uh, social interactions and things, and there is an extreme rise in um, anger mm -hmm. um, uh, across the world. And of course, we see instability. All we have to do is uh, step outside our doors right. or turn on the TV, right. <laughs> and, and we see everything is uh, is uh, crumbling before our eyes. Um, and uh, you know. Um, uh, and of course, uh, you know, that's going to lead to uh, a future topic that I, I have about um, our, our um, instability. But uh, the biggest thing I think that we see out there, and I think it's um, it's driving the the factor of fear, mm -hmm. um, is that um, people are. Uh, don't know how to agree to disagree calmly in society and, anymore. Mm -hmm. So how do we deal with this, uh, I guess, mix of we see this anger and instability um, that we're faced with, and now how do we agree to disagree? Mm -hmm. I know this is a tough one right. because, you know, we're dealing with some, you know, uh, I think for most people, um, you know, there's some people who are, you know, um, uh, you know, extremely diplomatic or maybe they're angels or something. Um, <laughs> that can deal with anger, like, you know, just yeah. like, you know, uh, uh, just like, oh, no problem. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I think a majority of people, they have an issue or have um, a difficulty dealing with anger right. um, properly. So how right. do we do it? Well, and there's no question that that anger, anger hurts and anger is a painful emotion to be engaging with someone that is angry. And ultimately, the the it's it gets down to why why is someone angry and if you're in a conversation with someone that is angry probably the first thing to figure out is what is the source of that anger are they angry about the topic are they angry at you the individual what where is the anger coming from and if it is coming out of frustration and you use the word fear you know fear frustration anger all of these things are emotions and they're all emotions that we can elect to regulate meaning that there there's if you're going to the, the intention of a conversation is an exchange of ideas if someone is coming in and they're angry about the topic um let's say part of it is is to unpack well what why are they angry and is it that they feel hopeless do they feel powerless what's going on and then Ultimately, you cannot have a conversation unless everyone is prepared to do some amount of listening. And so I think that that's another skill that is really one that has to be cultivated, which is that if we're talking about a very provocative subject and someone is angry, ultimately, what is it, what are they angry about? And 
being able to really dissect and get into if there's a way that they can see a solution. Because oftentimes when we get angry about something, it's that we feel hopeless, that we feel that there's there's no solution, there's no action that can be taken. And I think that what we're seeing is that, particularly with some of these, the, the very overwhelming global issues at hand, we have to always bring it back to the personal. What can I do as an individual to take action to impact something that I am upset about or distressed about or what have you? And and again, we talked about the intention of a conversation. If it's to persuade, is it to inform? What's the purpose? And so ultimately, I think that to be able, if we're not prepared to show up in a way that allows for listening and and dialogue, then you're not going to, you, you can't, uh, you, you can't achieve anything. And, and I hear you when you say that, you know, how do we have, how can we be calm? And I think what people are mistaking is that just because I'm calm about something doesn't mean I'm dispassionate about it. I may be very passionate and have a very strong perspective, but ultimately if I'm going to shout, I'm going to speak over someone, I'm going to dismiss them, that isn't ultimately going to achieve anything productive. So it does mean that's why civility speaks to politeness and courtesy. Ultimately, we have to be ready and learn how to at least hear someone else out enough that we can then regroup and potentially hold ourselves open to even changing our own perspective. Yes. Um, you know, I, I agree that this the this openness is uh, needed right now. I think that so many people are in um, a defense mode mm -hmm. <laughs> right. uh, because they, they, they feel attacked in so many different ways. Um, mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing that people are encountering, um, uh, I forget where I heard it. I think it was yesterday. Somebody said what it is, is that um, people are encountering the, the reality that you thought, um, you know, everything that you thought you knew. Mm -hmm. is no longer a reality. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, that is, it, it is, uh, you know, you're shifting your, um, you know, how you, you have to view things, how you think, um, how you're uh, essentially your worldview, um, okay. which is, uh, I think, uh, one of the most difficult things to have to encounter mm -hmm. um, is that because your worldview, um, you know, uh, tends to be, you uh, you know, the, the foundation that you build everything else upon to be you, essentially. Right. right. I think, Anne-Marie, you've made such an important point because in some ways what you're talking about are values, right? What are the things that mm -hmm. we, what are the things that are somewhat, we hope, immutable or they don't change over time, that we have certain standards and behaviors that are rooted in who we are in our identity, and then we look at the world through the lens of that identity. But I think the, the, the big shift that we're seeing from maybe 40 years ago, 50 years ago to today is really the rise of technology. And that technology is now set up in such a way that we can almost only listen to people that will provide us with confirmation bias meaning that if I have a certain set of ideologies, I can surround myself with programming, with, with information that's going to confirm what I think rather than necessarily challenge what I think. And, that's, and, and we have algorithms that are doing that. When we, when we look at TikTok, it's giving me the, the things I want to see. It's if I like, which I like, are babies doing cute things. Or <laughs> I like to see dancing, people dancing. It's going to feed me that. And so we have to, we, the collective, we have to be disciplined enough to be able to, to look at what we're receiving and consider, am I considering all sides of this question or this equation. It means you're absolutely right. Just as you said, you opened by saying that you 
go and you look at news stories and you're looking at kind of what are those breaking news points and having to be somewhat almost self-protective because it can be so overwhelming. But I think what we also have to do is make sure that we're we're digging deeper and we're getting the information so that if we're getting the information either so that we can be well-informed or we're getting the information so that if we feel this is really wrong and we want to change it, we understand, well, what, what's going to be required to do so and what what is factual and what is not factual. I think that that's another big shift that has come up where people have a lot of opinions, yet are they basing those opinions in fact? And also, we, we live at a time where people are tweeting out their opinions and their perspectives, yet is the information rooted in fact? And I think that that's doing research, really having the ability to dispassionately understand an issue so that you can then react to it is crucial. Yes. And then this leads me to, you know, one of the things that uh, um, we see so much now, and it's just like, uh, um, and I, I, you know, I, I personally, this is just a, a personal thought, but I, I, I believe sometimes the, the fight for, um, you know, wanting to show our authenticity <laughs> or um, to be uh, assertive mm-hmm. is causing us to have um, a greater divides, even greater divides than we have um, of the things that we have created, whether it be, you know, uh, a political party, nations, race, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, male, female, mm-hmm. um, because we are becoming um uh, siloed individuals and it's it goes to what you just talked about is that we can now um, due to technology um, create our own our own worlds right. essentially literally literally yeah right <laughs> yes oh, right. And, and you right. and you never and you don't have to let anyone else in because you could be like you're <laughs> right. not you know <laughs> right. right but and so you know the the biggest you know the the uh you know in this topic of return to civility, this is really a call, I believe, even for a greater problem that we have of a loss of our humanity. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, uh, and, you know, right. oh, go ahead. No, that's a powerful, mm-hmm. you're making a powerful point. And, and what you're also talking about is what I tend to think of as scarcity. This idea that, I mean, yes, we may want to live in our own insular world, yet ultimately, we have to be able to live collaboratively because we have only one planet. We have finite resources, and there's a uh, there's certainly there are people who are concerned about the the scarcity of of what's out there. That somehow I have to have I have to have mine, and if I have mine, that means you can't have yours. Or that there's we're, we're not looking at. Uh, a world where we're trying to be collaborative, cooperative. And so you're, I think you're, you're, you're entirely right, which means that we have to consciously make a decision that we're going to step out of our bubbles and that we're going to do what we can to understand the other person's point of view and perspective. And if we ultimately disagree and that's okay too. How are we going to disagree and still live civilly? How are we going to to and and uh, that means behaving ourselves. I mean, it's just, it's it kind of comes down to that that we're not we're we're going to almost get back to the notion of to do no harm. That that it, it, there may have to be in some situations a live or let live sort of ideology um, because we can't agree or we can't come to consensus, but it's, it's tough. It's very tough. Yes. And so I guess, what would you, and and once again, I'm blending two questions together, but I guess for, uh, because this is a, you know, ongoing challenge for each individual on the planet currently, Mm -hmm. how can, um, you know, uh, we see, um, 
I would say like weekly, uh, you know, there's some protest or something going on <laughs> every week. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's like this, uh, right. no, nobody could have wrote this stuff. This is like, you know, uh, these are, these are like, uh, the movies beyond, beyond we can never imagine. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, um, uh, so how do we, how do we, I guess, um, uh, uh, because I don't want people to necessarily, and I don't think it's healthy to just, you know, be mowed over right. <laughs> by, right. by other people. Right. Right. But what is, how can we have healthy um, authentic, uh, authenticity and be assertive in a healthy way? Mm -hmm. um, and this is all leading up, of course, to this um, fight that we continuously see every day now um, for equity and equality. Um, so how do we, um, you know, uh, how do we have, how do we make those two things, um, and, and healthy? Right. Right. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I honestly think in some ways it, that's why it's so crucial to also look to history when we look at things like nonviolent movements. Um, and we, I mean, and again, this is a personal ideology that I believe in nonviolence, right? Yet we know that nonviolence also, comes at a very high price, but looking at Gandhi, looking at Martin Luther King, looking at the ways in which we've done nonviolent engagement around the world historically to make deep systemic change. And how do we, how do we do that? How do we, and, and it takes in some cases, putting your life on the line, it takes showing up. It may take a new type of engagement with that 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 is rooted more in economic choice. Um, do you support do you if you have money? Do you support stocks that help the planet, so to speak? I mean, so I think in some ways, if one of the things we can easily quickly become very overwhelmed by the the ills of the world and the ills of the world were there before the pandemic. And they're certainly here now, yet they may have been made even exacerbated by the pandemic. I think you almost have to do a personal audit about what are the things that are important to you and to your family? What are the, and how are you going to respond and make those things priorities in your life? Whether it's, um, and, and it's, I would look at everything from my work life to my spiritual life, to my home life, to my educational life, and ultimately deciding what is the impact that you want to have on the world. And I would hope what is the positive impact that you want to have on the world, which means how do we show up in any given situation? So it's not to dictate to someone that, again, um, depending on the situation, it may be that um, I, I'm thinking about a conversation I had with a woman who talked about her concern and her distress over um, not having children wearing masks in school. And where she was uh, in Texas, uh, there was a big push for people who felt that children shouldn't be wearing masks. And when they went to the school committee meeting, someone who was opposed to the idea of wearing masks walked up to her, she was wearing a mask and deliberately coughed in her face to do something very aggressive. And mm. that, I mean, that's painful, that's, that's aggressive, that's potentially life-threatening, depending on what that woman's COVID status was in the moment. I guess what I'm driving at is that there are various responses that this woman could have had to this other woman coming up and doing that to her. But what she's choosing to do, she chose to show up in person. She chose to try to galvanize other people to her perspective. And what she's choosing to do now is to figure out if, is there a way where there could be some sort of an outside social gathering that would allow those who are on one side of the issue to come together with those who are on the other side and simply have a barbecue together to exchange ideas and in a way that is not 
negatively confrontational, but allows each of them to hear the other. And to, to even be willing to try to do something like that, to me, is to be an agent for good and an agent for change, because you're trying to tackle something where you know that there are going to be very polarized feelings. Again, I think it depends on where you want to put your energy. But wherever you put your energy, I think you need to come up with what would be a positive, healthy strategy. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, um, doing things like that is uh, there's, you know, of course, we don't hear about it, um, you know, publicly on the news, how many people are doing, you know, moving towards uh, uh positive actions. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yes, just doing those, I think people always think everything has to be, you know, um, a major movement right. um, for, right. for change. Right. But it's really in these uh, small interactions, That's right. um, interpersonally, That's that right. are the things that are going to, um, you know, make a change in a community. Because, you know, um, not knowing, of course, you know, uh, where all our, our listeners are, are living, but, you know, maybe your community is only, you know, 500 people, maybe live in a small town, right? Mm -hmm. right. Um, and so, you know, um, just if everyone, uh, even like if just, you know, uh, 50 people in your small town start doing things like that, that makes a big difference within a, a town of 500 people. Well, and, and, uh, and I'll even mm -hmm. take it a step further, which is that something like as simple as when you walk through the door, do you hold the door and look behind you to see if someone else is walking through it as well? That talk about something that sounds so small and minor, yet what it ultimately does is it when we do acts of kindness for one another, when we are thinking about other people, when we speak courteously even to one another, we're changing the tone, we're changing the dynamic. We're we're through courtesy, what you're also really doing is you're saying to someone, I see you, I see your humanity, and I'm acknowledging your humanity because I'm taking a moment to be to treat you well. Because to treat someone courteously is to treat them well. To be polite is to treat them well because it's it it's it's acknowledgement of our humanity. So the very point that you made about, you know, we're seeing sort of an erosion and a crumbling of humanity when we see people in political positions who are treating one another poorly or not hearing each other out or talking over each other. These are things that we talk to children about in terms of correcting their behavior and, and, and not want, you know, that you need to be polite. I mean, ultimately it doesn't mean you have to agree, but it does mean that you have to practice self-control, some self-regulation, and, and recognize that we're all responsible for how we show up. And so the, the easiest thing in the world is to be a jerk. It's the easiest thing in the world. To, 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 to mm -hmm. simply, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't have to think about anybody. You just think about yourself. You or, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so easy <laughs> to be a jerk. Yeah. It's so easy to just say, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to care about anything today. I'm just, it's me first. Uh, and, and it's absolutely simple to do that. And what I would challenge all the listeners to think about would be how, if, if we, if you decided to live a day conscious of the people around you and you literally said to yourself, how can every human interaction I do today make someone feel better? And, and whether that's as I'm going into the shopping center and I see someone or I'm, I'm going out and someone's coming in and I wipe down my basket and I turn it and I hand it to the person. I, I, I'm just, and this all may sound trivial, but I feel strongly that if we can come back to a place of, putting others' needs first in a healthy way. I'm not talking about, you know, being selfless to the point of being silly, but if we can think about how do we, how do I just care about and tune in to the people around me, 
even to the, the telemarketer that calls up. Now, who among us wants to hear from a telemarketer? But maybe instead it's of, uh, you know, some people curse them out. Some people hang up on them. Maybe it's just something as simple as, um, I'm sorry, this isn't a great time to thank you. And I wish you a good day. Are, are we creating mm-hmm. a change? Are we then helping each other? I'm telling you, these little small seeds will ultimately mean that if we're if we've done a scorched earth desert in terms of our the way we show up for one another, planting these little seeds and cultivating them, we may yet again live in in some sort of beautiful oasis. We've just got to make the choice. We're not, it's what separates us from the animals. You know, we're not animals, people. We we, (laughs) we make choices every single day. And, and, and we, we will have days. We will have bad days. We will show up badly. We will, we will lose our temper. We will shout at someone. We will do something that is contrary to how we want to be. The most powerful thing you can do is say, I'm sorry, or excuse me, or I'm, I, I, you know, I, or name what you did and ask for forgiveness or ask or apologize. I don't know when that came out of, fell out of favor that people no longer will own their behavior and say, I should not have done that. I'm sorry. That is something else we really need to bring back that I think we've come to a point where people feel vehemently like they can't sort of show vulnerability or that I've made a mistake or I'm sorry. I mean, those are powerful, powerful things. And when you apologize to someone, you're also modeling for your children, for the people around you, that, that you're acknowledging your own humanity and that you have made a mistake. And, and that allows them to also realize that it's okay to acknowledge our humanity and the very nature of our humanity is that we make mistakes. Yes. And, you know, you bring up a, a point that, you know, um, that, you know, I was going to ask you, like, what has, you know, um, like, what has happened to what I guess we used to call either old fashioned values, or is what is what is what has led us to, you know, demise, um, you know, these these type of things of like, just uh, other other humans, like, what do you think are like the top contributing factors that got us here that, you know, just saying, like, I'm sorry, is, uh, you know, um, <laughs> out of fashion. Out of fashion. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm going to call it. Out of fashion. Out of fashion. Um, the the blame game uh, right. uh, rules, um, uh, and um, you know, and uh, there's a, you know, um, uh, I, I guess we're all in uh, like a, a, a embattled kind of mode, but you know, I, I don't think this happened just because of the pandemic. Oh, like my no, thoughts no, are the, no, the no. pandemic. No, no. And I keep saying that, you know, um, ironic or not ironic, because, you know, we don't plan what happens in the, the universe mm-hmm. um, uh, that, um, you know, it happened the year 2020, which is usually for a clear vision. And so, you know, we have now really saw or seen um, or we're seeing still um, Mm -hmm. all the the horrors that have been uh, committed from like almost to to the start of our recorded history. It's it's scary. (laughs) The world the world is like sitting in a, you know, in the ultimate therapy office and it can they can't we can't handle it. (laughs) <laughs> we can't handle it. Right. And, and and I'm the first to acknowledge that I am probably, I, I like to work from a place of not only do I see the glasses half full, I see it as, uh, and maybe, maybe somebody will pour us a little more, right? I mean, that I, I think we are in a place where, where we can get better. With that said, you're, you're asking where did the, all of this come from? And I, I think what's interesting, if you really turn the clock back and you go to the start of humanity um, and human beings being around 
the the fire and lighting fires and part of the idea of conversation was to tell one another stories but stories were there to um, instruct they were there to inspire they were there to warn they were there to um, make us feel a sense of understanding what was right and what was wrong. So we've been doing storytelling since the dawn of humanity with the goal of, of allowing us to live together successfully. And also, though, I mean, we, you'd have situations where you had the uh, people who were the other, right? And how did, and, and whether stories came up where, why we fear them, why we don't go near them or why we do, all of that, the sort of, so when you look at historically the spread of humanity and how human beings have evolved, it's even interesting. I had someone telling me how in the 1500s, there was a version of Miss Inez's school of home training because you had um, little books that were written for people to know, to understand how to show up, so to speak, for different situations. So I, I guess when you when you ask what has done this, I think it's when you can no longer, when you've had an erosion of empathy. And I'll tell you, I was a huge fan of the show Survivor when it came out, <laughs> the television show. Yeah. I used to love watching it. But I think in many ways, the advent of reality TV created this appetite for creating these almost false circumstances in which we can distance ourselves from other people so that somehow it, when you can drop your empathy and you can just look at someone as the other and you no longer have to see them as part of your human family, that's when you start seeing an erosion of values or of people's willingness to care for one another. So uh, I, I, when, when, um, you know, where, where would I sort of put a marker, a marker in time? I mean, when television first came into being people, there were people that used to refer to it as the idiot box because it was, it, it sucked up your time and it was passive and you were simply consuming. I think we are in a moment in time where we do an enormous people. We now have taken away even the what used to be the gates of consumption of of distribution in terms of content so you used to have nbc cbs abc that provided content well now we are daily flooded with content and unless you have are educated and have thought about what you're going to consume it's no wonder that we are flooded, that we are almost um, gorged on meaningless content. And so the amount of energy to even sift through what is meaningful and what isn't, all of those things have, have started to be swipe right, swipe left, you know, all of this mm -hmm. where it, there's no connection to the being and 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 we've we've sort of let the humanity go which is why playing a game a simple card game where you're in person and you you ask someone the question what scent transports you to where and what do you recall something as simple as a question like that I've had people responding all the way from, oh, it's the scent of lemons on the Malfi Coast when I was a 21-year-old and I was in love, all the way to a woman remembering being a seven-year-old and having her mother smearing copper tone on her skin on the New Jersey shores, or the scent of Jeanne people remembering that with their, associating it with their mother or their grandmother, that it suddenly pulls us back to being human. What is it to be human, to be in fellowship with one another? You, when you're playing a card game with someone and you've asked them a question and they're, they're taking a moment to pause and think and reflect, you're not swiping left. You're not 
<laughs> you know, pushing, mm-hmm. tapping on them. You're you're in the moment. You're you're in a human moment. You're making eye contact. You're looking at them. So it's it's that. I think it's simply getting back to a place where we value what we have to say. And it does mean slowing down and listening and and hopefully doing some laughing too. Yeah. Yes, we do need lots of laughter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I miss uh I miss being able to I haven't well I guess I could, but I haven't went to like a, see a comedy club in a long time. Right. So right. <laughs> right. I, you know, I think that's even changed comedy. <laughs> oh, right. Because there are many things that we used to make jokes about that are there are groups of people say, well, that's no longer funny or you're hurting me or what happened, <laughs> right. right? And, and so, well, you know, and so, so, so what, so in, where I think that takes us is I think there's a, a fear of thinking deeply because if we think deeply, we're going to feel deeply. And when we feel deeply, we may hurt deeply. And I think we can't because we can't be afraid to hurt deeply because if you hurt deeply, you can also be deeply joyous. There's a beautiful quote that says, the deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. We we can't be afraid to, to engage with one another as human beings. It's yes, we're going to hurt. Yes, we're going to we're going to make mistakes and 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 but it shouldn't be that we avoid the conversation because we don't know how to have it therein lies the difference if no one has ever taught particularly children how to pause listen let the other person make their point or gather their thoughts learn how to ask a clarifying question understand that the tone of your voice can be communicating something that you may or may not want communicated. All of these things, if we're not going to work on on refining those skills and, and giving people the tools for discourse, we will live in a world that has no moral center. And, and we are better than that. Humanity is better than that. And we prove that every day because we don't, for for every negative post, there, there are 4,000 acts of kindness that are happening that go undocumented. I promise you. So that to me is what I want to see as the, I feel like we've got to be about the business of reconnecting with one another and our humanity. Yes. And then reconnecting and you brought up, uh, especially for this, uh, you know, the younger generation. And I know that you, you know, um, encounter the younger generation um, regularly. Yes. That they are, you know, um, this whole experience of, um, you know, the pandemic, obviously, as we uh, found out on news stories and and we see it in our neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. um, affected them deeply. Sure. Um, You know, uh, you know, um, some kids, of course, ended up, uh, you know, with uh, uh, either uh, anxiety problems, um, sure. depending on, you know, how, um, you know, the, the situation was dealt with um, in their home right. or at their school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and of course, not having that uh, human to human interaction in this virtual world, mm-hmm. obviously um, skewed the, the very young people that never even got a chance necessarily right. to go into a, a, a school situation. Right. Um, and you also brought up a, a great point about um, uh you know, when we look at this, this um, uh, civility and, and we talk about fear, all of these things are dealing with um, feelings. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it even um, goes deeper that perhaps or, you know, none of us learned how to deal with uh, feelings. But right. as you mentioned, um, if you can uh, go and feel deep sorrow, then you can also go and feel deep joy. Right. And so when you are able to feel deep joy, deep joy is the thing that 
um, everyone wants on the planet. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I know this because I just read uh, the latest happiness report mm -hmm. and people from all societies, um, uh, whether they are in uh, poverty or living the, you know, elite life, mm -hmm. um, search for this um, ultimate thing called happiness. Right. And, um, and so happiness as the thing that, um, you know, uh, that people um, ultimately want to get from, you know, that's why we're, uh, you know, all aiming for to right. be happy, be happy. Uh, happy, right? Right. And so, but one of the things that I think um, tying uh, this need to be happy and feelings together and to the younger generation is that um, one of the things, the, the key to happiness that I think that a lot of people do not understand is that we, um, need to have gratitude, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, and why I say that is, uh, you know, um, when we look at uh, everything that is going on the planet, <laughs> mm -hmm. have we have we really stepped back and say like, you know, especially if we're here in the U.S., we should be like the most grateful nation, <laughs> but instead we look like the, these angry <laughs> nice. um, and and seem like uh, possibly the most ungrateful people. Mm. Um, is that how then uh, what role are the parents supposed to be playing in uh, children's lives, I guess, mm -hmm. in teaching them this concept of um, social gratitude? Yeah. I guess first we should explain social gratitude and then dive into how parents um, should be incorporating that into children's lives. Well, well, when I think of social gratitude, I, I think about uh, the, the sense of uh, being appreciative for what you have and helping the, the the biggest role that a parent does is that they provide a context meaning that they're everyone's everyone on the planet their situation is relative to them so that um whether i am a, a parent of a of a family and we are experiencing homelessness how do we how do we still appreciate or have a sense of gratitude and could it be that we're grateful that we're together or that we we woke up this morning or that we are able to go to a shelter and get a meal all the way to a family where they may have a great deal of material things yet may feel a profound sense of, of disconnect and how do you help that child in that family understand that they that they should be the things for which they should be grateful uh, if they are grateful for whether those are material things or material opportunities yet also i think the responsibility of a parent is to always show the connective tissue back to um how it came to be meaning that we're we if your family is privileged enough to be able to um have a hot meal on the table it's to recognize that there are those who experience food insecurity and so it's making sure that you're talking to your children about gratitude that you're modeling gratitude and that you're cognizant that it's not about being guilty that you have something it's about being grateful that you have it and how will your you use your sense of gratitude to either share it or to help others right uh, so i think that it's it's understanding the the moral responsibility that we have as a human family because we want to in uh, when we talk about well uh, it's the moral responsibility of being in the human family and the recognition that we are all interconnected. And while we don't want to belabor the virus, the recognition that that a global virus that swept the world, there's no one that went unscathed as a result of that. So to to not acknowledge our interconnectedness is to be mistaken. And so I, I think, you know, you're, you're asking a big question in terms of how, uh, the role of parents. And I think that um, ultimately parents 
themselves do the best. I don't know. There's not a single parent alive that doesn't want to do the best they can. I mean, and, and those that don't do the best they can, it's because they're unable to, whether they're going through some experience or what have you, people want to do well by their children. And they typically want their children to be safe. They want them to be healthy and they want them to be educated and they want them to be happy. Those are the four underpinnings that all parents want. And so, again, modeling for your child what it is to be curious about the world around you and to be a person who shows up well is probably the most powerful thing you can do to, to express social gratitude. Yes. And, you know, once, uh, and the reason that I, I brought this question up is, um, you know, one of the things, uh, obviously, I'm just going to give an obvious, is that usually when you're angry, you're not happy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, um, you know, and if, if this is, if this, uh, you know, anger continues to be persuasive um, uh, around the world, um, then it keeps us um, from that uh, joy. And that joy then keeps us from understanding each other. And of course, then, uh, you know, contributes to this, uh, you know, lack of civility that we are seeing um, uh, attacking us. And so um, well, now, go ahead. And I feel Mm -hmm. strongly that Look, there, there's no question that injustice, when we see someone being shot down in the street because of the color of their skin, or we see someone um, being bullied or excluded or hurt, we should get angry. That should make us angry. The question is, what, what do we do about it? And does it mean that I, I get angry, so I decide to go to law school so I can help you know, in the spirit of someone like a Brian Stevenson, change policies. You know, does it mean that I write letters? Does it mean that I, what does it mean? Meaning just to sit in a state of anger is to immerse yourself. It's like literally taking a toxic bath, in my humble opinion. I mean, if if I know I'm angry about something, then what I try to do is I try to unpack it. Why am I angry about that? And what can I do about it? Because to simply stew in your anger does nothing. It's it's absolutely it's 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 a consummate waste of time and energy. The only thing that matters is taking action that I hope would be constructive action. And my idea of constructive action might differ from someone else's idea of constructive action. But ultimately, you know, taking action in a way that 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 can create meaningful impact is why we're here. It's we're we're called to live lives of meaning. We're we're not called to take up space on the planet. We're called, you know, in in most every major religion talks about, um, you know loving the dear neighbor as oneself, caring for others, uh, being being a good person. All of the moral underpinnings of major religions are telling us how to show up in the world. And so I feel very strongly that ultimately we we make our own decisions and that you're if you're deciding to be angry, you, it's appropriate to be angry about certain situations, but if you're deciding to stay in a place of anger rather than determining how you can take that anger and transform it into healthy action, that that's got to be what we're called to do. Yes. I think a lot of people, um, uh, have forgotten that that we're not just here to um, consume. Right. <laughs> exactly, we're not here to consume. We're here, presumably, to to make the world a better place, and we can do that in so many ways that 
it's it's mind-boggling. I mean, if we can pollute a world, we can clean a world. If we can teach hate, we can teach love. I mean, we have nothing but the ability to do these things. We have to have the will to do them. And And I am not one of these people that feels that technology, I feel like technology can absolutely help us, but it's like anything. It's a tool. It's not, it's, it's not an outcome. It's a tool. So how do we take technology so that we can be the better versions of ourselves? And I'll use a very silly example, but I recently put on a virtual reality headset and there were all these different worlds that you could visit. And uh, based upon who I was, I chose to go to this undersea world and then I chose to go out to space. And I learned a ton visiting both of these worlds. Now, could I have gone to the haunted house? Sure. Could I have <laughs> gone to um, the roller coaster? Of course I could. And is it okay to go visit those worlds? Of course it is. From time to time, go have fun and do that. But I guess what I'm driving at is that if we decide to immerse ourselves in a world or a perspective, what are you going to learn and what are you going to glean from it that's then going to be edifying or or, or have some value? So I, I think it's fascinating. I just I did not know that there was this asteroid belt between I think it's Jupiter and Mars, and and we got to fly through it, and it was it was fascinating. And so again. <laughs> mm -hmm. When, I didn't know that either. <laughs> I, I, I might be wrong if it wasn't, maybe it wasn't Mars and Jupiter, but I think it was. The, the point is, is that we're, we're at, you know, there's so much beautiful knowledge out there. I had no idea that when you get stung by a bee or stung by a mosquito, that it's always a female doing the stinging because that that's the, that is biologically who can sting you because they're trying to draw, in the case of mosquitoes, draw blood so that they can um, propagate, you know, mosquito babies. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. <laughs> again, mm -hmm. there's all, we have, we have access through our phones to all the knowledge in the world, yet we're watching a TikTok of someone, you know, scratching their head. I mean, ultimately, I think we have to just challenge ourselves as people to be better. Let's just be better people. And yes, and that kind of leads me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, and ahead. do that through the art of conversation. Yes. And I think, you know, I was just going to ask you, you know, um, what, you know, the, the, this kind of answers a little bit of what the, the biggest consequences are if we continue down this, uh, you know, current path in society that we're on. Um, of, uh, I guess it leads us to a, a sense of kind of uh, a mindlessness. <laughs> it, it, it leads, I think it leads us to a mindlessness and it leads us to what I'm concerned about is that if you're developing an appetite in children where not only are they consuming, 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 but everything is I'm, uh, uh, you know, flick left, flick right. I just heard at a conference that, uh, and I'll, I'll, the average amount of, how long do you think the average hiring director looks at your resume? Anne-Marie, what do you think? Give me a, give me a throw at a time. I, how, how mm, uh, uh, five to seven seconds. <laughs> well, well played, my friend. Six seconds. Six okay. seconds. So think about that. Think about the fact that we are in a world where something as crucial as your livelihood is resting on uh, the glance of six seconds. To me, we, we are dismissing one another pretty quickly. So how do we, frankly, it, it's not about slowing down. It's about recalibrating how do we recalibrate how we're going to show up for one another? Because we're going to create and are creating an insensitive generation, a generation that doesn't know how to 
talk to one another, a generation that doesn't know how to care about other people. Um, you know, we're, we're not cultivating sensitivity. We're, we're, we're cultivating the opposite. And so I think what we have to do is consciously create through conversations, through engagement, a world where we're able to learn what it is to show up for one another in a way that is respectful, caring, fair, polite, decent. And that doesn't mean that we all agree, but it does mean that we agree that you have to have a certain standard of behavior. And now my final question is, if you were going to pick a, uh, I guess, a word or two words of what's the lesson that we need to learn today in society? Um, so, uh, well, I, the word for me is civility. I'm back to the, the word being civil because you know, we used to talk about things like tolerance, you know, you know, yes, I'm laughing at that word tolerance now because, you know, uh, we, uh, I think it, it got stretched to right. the, the meaning right. got misconstru misconstrued. Right. Um, right. And I think uh, misconstrued and taken advantage of. Right. Um, that's that's right. how I, right. I, I see it. I, I, would, I would totally <laughs> agree. And I think that there and and there is no question, too, that language evolves. I mean, we're making the, we're talking about the fact that which is why defining your terms, defining your words, a big part of my game has a whole section on words and pro providing definitions and then having conversations about what do you think the meaning of empathy is or collaboration or cooperation or what have you that having the chance to talk about what that means to me because the meanings of words change over time and so civility for me even though when you look up the the dictionary definition talks about courtesy and politeness civility is also the recognition that we we there, there's an implicit kindness in how we show up there's an implicit respect so i would say civility is my word yes and that's perfect um for our our topic of return to civility um so thank you um so much uh for giving us uh, an in-depth um look at uh where we are currently and hopefully where we can um hope to go in the future mm -hmm. in a more uh respectful way Mm -hmm. um, so thank you, um, Ms. Inez, for your time and insight. To learn more about Ms. Inez's School of Home Training, you can go to uh, MissInezSchool.com. Um, and if you have a passion for an unserved community, a social justice problem, or want to change minds, contact Project Good Work at ProjectGood.org to start your project of change today. Subscribe to our mailing list at projectgood.work slash subscribe to get our episodes and blog articles sent to you each month and get a 10% discount on any project you start with Project Good. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to Project Good, where we're focused on what matters. 